Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, you're listening to the Times Redbox podcast. I'm Patrick Maguire, in for Matt Chorley all this week. Coming up on today's episode, we'll learn more about Rishi Sunak, who became Prime Minister today. We'll speak to his MP friend, Kevin Hollingrake, and James Johnson from the Times Radio Focus Group will tell us how public opinion of the former Chancellor and now Prime Minister has changed over time. First, though, it's time for our Economist panel. No Finkelvich this week, so Isabel Hardman joined David to discuss the outgoing and incoming PM. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yeah, time for our Columnist panel, and there's plenty to talk about this morning. I'm joined by Times Columnist David Aronovich. Hi, David. Hi, Patrick. And Assistant Editor of The Spectator, Isabel Harman. Hello, Isabel. Hi there. Apologies for my Lily Savage voice. Your Lily Savage voice? That's not n- nowhere near scouse enough for Lily Savage, Isabel. <laughs> I know, I know you live up north these days, but I, you know, I don't think you've gone native quite yet, have you? <laughs> well, I'm actually in Scotland, so. Uh, but uh, I, I think it does sound a bit like I'm trying to seduce your listeners, for which I apologise. Uh, is is this just you've been doing so much broadcasting over the past week that your voice has given up? Uh, no, it's actually that I've got a toddler who's waging chemical warfare on me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Oh dear! Well, look, they're more than they're more than welcome to chip in. It, it, it might be it might be better than our analysis. David, how are you? How are you enjoy? How are you enjoying the show unfolding in Westminster this morning? Um, I'm gonna. Uh, I have an admission to make. I just don't enjoy pageantry and these sort of kind of occasion things because people say exactly what you expect them to say. Um, uh, somebody churns out the word momentous as the BBD, BBC did in one of its. Uh, uh, in one of its t- uh, tweets this morning, and it's all it's 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 I, I'm afraid, and it's replaced very badly on me. I just find it immensely irritating. So, you know, as far as I can see, uh, Liz Truss said exactly the things you'd expect her to see, except with a modicum less contrition mm. than you might uh, than you might imagine. Um, and it was all kind of the usual, which we now expect from almost anybody in this government, uh, except uh, Jeremy Hunt, which was great future lies ahead. All we've got to do is get through the hard times, etc. cetera. Uh, brackets, send a few immigrants to Rwanda and we'll be fine. I suppose. And also, you know, you, you, you critique the word momentous. The striking thing about these occasions is they don't feel particularly momentous anymore. We've had seven prime ministers this decade uh, Rishi Sunak is the is the seventh, and there's almost a prosaic quality to days like this now. As much as you know, we should be you know lots of people will be very excited, and there remains a degree of uh, occasion about it. But this has become very normal for the Conservative Party, hasn't it? Yeah, Charles has been king for a, what a couple of weeks now, and he's on his second prime minister already. Uh, I think we can say a change in the monarchy is momentous, but I don't think we can any more say a change in prime minister. When WhatsApp went down earlier, you kind of wonder whether Rishi's people hadn't weren't preparing to arrest Boris Johnson supporters, and this was a kind of precursor to it. Because one of the things that nobody ever talks about, it's very odd, really, and Isabel may have some views about this, is that Rishi Sunak is the most 
choreographed and well-advised mm. and uh, uh, well-PR'd uh, candidate, I think, it, I, I maybe that I've ever seen in my, in my lifetime, but apparently you're not allowed to say this, or people don't say this, but it's true. Isabel, what do you make of that? And also, were you surprised at what you heard from Liz Trust this morning? I think I was a little bit because I was expecting something brief, business-like and reflective of the circumstances in which she left, which is to say her entire government, governing prospectus was proven to, uh, at least in the moment, uh, not work at all. Were you surprised by what you heard? And also, do you, uh, do you agree with David that Rishi Sunak is, uh, will have painstakingly choreographed everything we're about to see today? Yeah, just, just on trust, I was surprised that there was no sense of contrition or sort of acknowledgement that she had messed things up. And really she ended up rehearsing some of the arguments she made during the conservative leadership contest in the summer, her leadership contest number one, um, where she was talking about the dangers of Britain becoming a low growth economy. And that was the sort of warning she made against electing Rishi Sunak instead of her. And it really felt as though she was saying, you know, I'm, I'm off to the back benches to critique how you're doing and I'm going to be on your case. And I think it is worth remembering that there are a lot of Conservative MPs who, while they're relieved that the psychodrama is, is over you know, momentarily for their party and that they've got someone who hasn't freaked out the markets, they still don't necessarily think Rishi Sunak is particularly Conservative economically. I mean, the number of times that, Tory MPs who I've spoken to over the past year have said we don't have a Conservative Chancellor when Sunak was mm. in the Treasury. I don't think they've resiled from that. And so I think there are going to be quite a lot of policy disagreements. And it sounds as though trust isn't heading off for a period of silence and reflection. Um, and, it, you know, as, as you were just um, saying, she, she's going to be the third uh, former Prime Minister on the back benches. Uh, all of whom want to make the point that they were right in some way. Um, and then on um, on David's point about Rishi Sunak being incredibly choreographed, he is. But how striking was it yesterday that he didn't even know which camera to look at mm. uh, when he gave his address in CCHQ? <laughs> I mean, I think uh, from people who are in the room, he was actually talking to an auto queue. But it really looked as though he was talking to his party, not to the country, because he wasn't staring down the barrel of the camera. Instead, he was looking elsewhere in the room at his party headquarters, almost as though he was still really talking to his MPs. And I think the fascinating thing about all the conversations I've had with Tory MPs over the past 24 hours is that none of them are saying, oh, right, that's the next election, we might actually win it. They're all basically breathing a sigh of relief that not, they're not heading for total annihilation and that instead they may have a sort of more dignified sinking with this captain uh, at the helm of yeah. the ship instead. That's, and that's certainly how it felt yesterday. I was in Westminster yesterday walking down committee corridor as all the MPs, uh, you know, committee room 14, disgorged the entire parliamentary party of Conservative MPs. And I didn't sense any jubilation. I didn't sense any, even among supporters of Rishi Sunak, the feeling was of a party that had had an immense weight lifted off its shoulders. But we're talking about the Conservative Party here, aren't we, as if, and it's always been very good at this, at creating the impression that its interests, its electoral interests are indivisible from those of the country. But what yeah. we're not detecting so far, David, is much discussion, and this comes back to Isabel's point about contrition, doesn't it? Much discussion of the real-world impacts of any of this. Well, 
Well, okay. It's one of the things that's noticeable is that in this particular very short leadership election, Rishi Sunak didn't actually say anything. Mm. He wasn't asked a single question, didn't make a single appearance, uh, and so on. Uh, his defenders say, oh, well, he didn't have to because he said it all during the last leadership election. But uh, he's probably noticed, as we have, that quite a lot has happened since then, and that there were questions certainly to be asked. We didn't even bother asking them on the whole because we were so kind of, you know, like magpies with shiny things. Boris Johnson was dangled in front of us, and we all looked that way. Uh, and so nobody was really much asking, well, what's he going to do when he gets in? But if you listen to the sorts of things which... Um, uh, ordinary people, most of us, are putting up with when we're not thinking about politics, and most people aren't. We're looking at price rises for some uh, for uh, food uh, inflation of up to ten to fourteen percent. Um, uh, though the mortgage rate increases may not be as big under Rishi Sunak as they would have been had Liz Truss continued, they are still happening, and they're going to happen. Um, uh, the the situation in the NHS is as desperate as uh, it was under Liz Truss and is not going to get easier anytime soon, largely because of a whole series of long-term uh, deficiencies which have been... which. which which we should know about. I mean, we've got the, if you just think about what Rishi Sunak's proposals may or may not be over social care, for example, gives you kind of an idea of the scale of the problem. And yet we're invited to take part in all this. Well, it's going to be all right now because we have party unity and we're going to go on for the good of the country, etc. It's I, honestly, it's like living in a parallel universe when you look at what is talked about and discussed in Westminster. Well, Isabel, do you agree? Because we haven't heard much and obviously Rishi Sunak was, in fairness, was talking to his party yesterday. His speech in the next hour is going to be an opportunity to address the country for the first time as prime minister. Do you think he has the time or the space or even the understanding of the, the issues that are needed, not just to win an election, but to answer the questions voters are asking the country, which, as David says, are about inflation, they're about the state of public services, and they're about their mortgage rates? Do you get the sense that that is what he's preparing to do, or is there's still an inward looking process. I mean, why would you want to talk about any of those things? Mm. Because you can't, you know, you can't blame the last Labour government because people have been born and actually reached puberty in the time since the last <laughs> Labour government. Um, you, you have to, you know, you can blame the Prime Minister before the Prime Minister before or something like that. But but essentially you are pointing out all of the things that the voters are, are not going to thank you for, indeed blame you for, at the next general election. So it's a really tricky thing to to talk about on the, um, people always say on the steps of Downing Street. I mean, that they don't stand on the steps. There is a step, I know, because I fought, fell over on it once, but um, but they tend to stand, stand a little bit further in front of the door of Downing Street. But, you know, how is he going to frame things in Downing Street uh, in a way that doesn't sound like he's just sort of the bin man coming to clear up all the mess from everyone else? And that was certainly what Jeremy Hunt it essentially uh, did last week. Uh, it was only last week that he turned up and and junked all of Liz Truss's plans, a bit like he was, you know, clearing the remnants of a party away into a bin liner. How is Rishi Sunak going to make it sound a little bit less technocratic and a little bit less like he's just trying to to stop things from going off a cliff um, and give some kind of vision of? you know, a positive Britain. I think it's very difficult. Well, I saw someone tweet yesterday that the the, the nature, as, as David said, there were no interviews. 
It was entirely submarine leadership campaign. They said it had the air of Rishi Sunak was sort of like an IMF technocrat that someone had parachuted into Italy to undertake a programme of structural readjustment to the central bank (laughs) and the economy. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, I just wanted to share this uh, listener message from listener Luke McGee, a very loyal listener who's uh, who's tweeted to say, listening to Times Radio and it's uncanny. David Aronovich, if you shut your eyes and he could be Keir Starmer. Uh, David, I don't think I've ever seen you two in the same room. Are you willing to deny that you are the leader of the Labour Party and perhaps the next Prime Minister after Rishi Sunak? <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, uh, uh, Isabel knows you. If you say something disobliging about the Conservatives, there's always somebody there to say that you're Keir Starmer and, if, and, and vice versa. I think, yeah, well, look, you've got a better taste in football clubs, I think, anyway, David. David Aronovich and Isabel Hardman there, and of course you can read David every week in The Times. Just pick up a copy of the paper or subscribe at thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Coming up, an introduction to Rishi Sunak. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. Big Thing on Times Radio. Always trigger happy with the big thing jingle. But yes, you're listening to Patrick Maguire on Times Radio. Rishi Sunak, here's a big thing, is en route up the mall to Buckingham Palace, uh, ready for his first audience with the King as Prime Minister. He's going to accept the invitation to form uh, the third Conservative government of the past two months. Uh, just seven short weeks after he was rejected by Conservative Party members, he's back having won the support of MPs yesterday. Yes, it's 11 o'clock, so it's time for our big thing. Rishi Sunak on his way to the palace as he becomes the UK's 57th Prime Minister. But let's take some time now to remind ourselves about the man. Lots of us feel that we know him very well. Uh, having been at the forefront of British politics for the past two and a bit years uh, since he was catapulted from obscurity to become Chancellor at the height of the pandemic. He is, of course, the first British Asian Prime Minister. His grandparents were born in the Punjab and came to England in the 1960s. He described himself as a British Indian, and when he replaced William Hague as MP for Richmond in Yorkshire, he swore his oath on the Bhavagad Gita, a 700-word uh, verse, rather, not word, Sanskrit scripture that is part of the Hebrew, uh, the Hindu. God, I'm really, uh, really mixing things up this morning as part of the Hindu, uh, one of the Hindu holy texts. I swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, her heirs and successors according to law. So help me God. Before becoming an MP in 2015, he worked with the likes of Goldman Sachs in the city, but traded it all in to join Parliament just before he turned 35. In his maiden speech, he was already keen to promote the fiscal discipline for which he'd become so well Under this government, Britain will live within its means. No more irresponsible borrowing. No more spiralling debt at the taxpayers' expense. No more passing the debt to the next generation. But then the pandemic hit. 
him having taken up a government role, becoming a junior minister under David Cameron. He had campaigned to leave the EU, throwing his support behind Michael Gove in 2016 and then Boris Johnson in 2019. In 2020, he replaced Sajid Javid to become the second youngest chancellor, and indeed, probably the shortest actually, for more than 100 years. In his first budget, he promised to level up the country with investment in public services. We promised to level up with new roads, railways, broadband and homes. This budget gets it done. But then the pandemic hit and he became the furlough chancellor, borrowing and spending more money than he would have ever liked to, but rescuing millions of people from financial ruin. It was the making of his reputation, but as the pandemic wore on, Sunak became anxious about overspending and brought in a number of new tax rises, including a national insurance hike to pay for social care. Tensions began to grow between him and the prime minister who made him, Boris Johnson. He then got caught up in Partygate, receiving a fixed penalty notice along with the Prime Minister for attending the short birthday party to mark Boris Johnson's 56th. During this period too, he was under close scrutiny from the media. It was reported that his wife, Akshata Murthy, daughter of billionaire tech giant Naranya Murthy, had non-don status, meaning she didn't pay tax on her earnings in the UK. His personal ratings, once sky high, fell off a cliff. He stuck with Boris Johnson, though, throughout the Sue Gray saga, but the Chris Pincher scandal proved one too many. And when Sunak resigned from government, it precipitated the end of Johnson's premiership, something his allies have not forgotten. It wasn't that long ago, of course, but he stood against Liz Truss with the backing of his MPs, attacking her tax-cutting agenda as fantasy economics. Because I'm a Conservative like you, I want to cut taxes, and I think tax cuts can drive growth, but only if we cut the right ones. And with my plan, we will actually get the outcome we want. If we go with Liz's plan and stick with what we've done for the last 10 years, nothing's going to change. It didn't convince the membership, of course, and he was comfortably beaten 57% to 43 He then stepped away for a short while, watching the government's economic plan fail from the sidelines without so much as an I told you so. And his recent campaign was quiet too, silent even. A private meeting with Boris Johnson went nowhere and he managed to see off Penny Morden without the Tory membership getting a say. Last night, he spoke for the very first time, warning of the difficult times ahead. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity, and I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together. We'll hear from him in just half an hour as he makes his first address to the nation as Prime Minister after returning from Buckingham Palace. So what can we expect from him in number 10? We've got to know the man... But what will he be like as Prime Minister? I'm joined now by Times Redbox reporter Lara Spirit, who's with me in the studio. Morning, Lara. Morning, Patrick. Um, so we know how Rishi Sunak got here. What does he intend to do now he is finally in number 10 after, uh, after a, an abortive first try? Um, what, what are his priorities now beyond uniting the Conservative Party? Well, I think stability and unity, as you heard from him yesterday, are likely to form the kind of bulwark of his policy response to the immediate challenges. Obviously, had he entered number 10 50 days ago by defeating Liz Truss, as opposed to entering it today, I think you would have expected a very different policy platform uh, from Rishi Sunak. Now it's very much the case that restoring market credibility, making sure everything uh, calms down and making sure, crucially, if it does go ahead on the 31st, that that midterm fiscal plan doesn't spook the markets, that it reassures them, uh, will be a big, big thing. Obviously, 
actually that kind of unity question, the second plank of that is really important. I think his decisions this afternoon on who he appoints to his cabinet will be front and centre in making sure that he can prove that he is a prime minister that's not going to be divisive and he is a prime minister that unites others. And then I think we'll see. I think there's a wider question about whether or not Rishi's kind of bigger philosophy, Rishi's kind of bigger policy priorities. It was interesting to me yesterday that he said, I'm still a kind of low tax, high growth Tory to see whether or not he has actually any opportunity to be able to go ahead with economic reforms that in a kind of quote-unquote normal economic climate he might be able to implement. But I think at the moment, given the crises, or, or at least that we're on the cusp of on the cusp of a deep recession, I think his, his kind of main priorities will be just finding a way to stave off uh, any more bigger crises than we have at the moment, both within his party and kind of in the wider economy. And just as important as Rishi Sunak, uh, and this is true of any prime minister, uh, are the people around him. You know, we've speculated a little bit about the cabinet. We'll do some more of that in the moment. But who, you know, talk us through Rishi Sunak's inner circle. Who are the key people in the room with Rishi Sunak as he's making these decisions today? Yeah, one of the really interesting things about this is that uh, Rishi Sunak's premiership, and at least when we found out he was going to be prime minister, was in part defined by the fact that he's pretty, he's a pretty pretty kind of new uh, political face in a sense and definitely comparative in historical terms. He entered parliament in 2015. He was only really in government from 2018. And yet when you look at his aides and when you talk to people around him uh, and MPs who support him, everybody agrees that actually he has one of those teams that seems to be incredibly loyal towards him, very, very diligent, and has had a couple of people kind of front and centre who have been with him this whole time. Probably uh, the kind of mainstays of that that you would think to highlight would be Liam Booth-Smith, who I think uh, is tipped to be chief of staff, but that's not necessarily being confirmed. Uh, he you know, grew up in a council estate, uh, son of a, of a single mother, and kind of rose through the ranks as being a key, uh, a key advisor of Rishi Sunak. And then Narissa Chesterfield, who I think this morning has been confirmed uh, as press secretary, who uh, kind of cut her teeth at the Institute for Economic Affairs but has been kind of again a very long-standing advisor and kind of close confidence so those two uh, kind of big advisors also Cass Horowitz expected to go in he's the man behind the graphics and the Instagram account he's the brand of Rishi yes exactly obviously uh, many people who know Rishi will know of especially during Chancellor the kind of slick social media operation that reportedly uh, left number 10 quite irate at times he's the uh, one that is kind of behind those kind of slick social media campaigns I think you'll be expecting uh, to see from him from him too and then Rupert York the kind of final advisor that I'd want to highlight in that who was known for with Mel Stride kind of masterminding the spreadsheets uh, this time around and throughout the summer that helped shore up support from uh, MPs so those are the kind of key advisors that I think will be sat there around the table today I would imagine late last night as well working out just how you're going to get around to appointing a cabinet that shores up different wings of the party but also crucially has uh, competency front and centre as well and does reward key allies that work so hard for him all at once Well, and, and ju- well that is a really tricky task and he has promised to unify the party and you always make enemies during a reshuffle. So just briefly, uh, key allies he'll want to reward and who's likely to get whacked to make space for them? Key allies, Oliver Dalden, absolutely probably his most loyal uh, kind of friend who's who's an MP who's looking to make a return to the cabinet. I think we would expect him to be in a position like CDL, but he he's known to like education uh, as well. Other allies, Mark Harper, obviously former Chief Whip, Liam Fox, former ministers like Robert Jenrick as well. I think you'll be expecting to see them uh, given big positions today. Alex Chalk as well, former Solicitor General. I think you'd expect to see uh, him there too. So those will be uh, key allies. Obviously, though, I would want to highlight that Rishi Sunak probably acutely aware and has said he wants a government 
of all the talents that he wants to unite the party, that there will have to be people from the Trustite wing of the Conservative Party, there will have to be people from the Johnson wing of the Conservative Party, and there aren't enough spaces for all of them. So you're right that there will be people today, uh, both fans and not fans of Rishi Sunak, who will be bitterly disappointed by the decisions that he'll have to make. Well, let's see if one backer of Rishi Sunak uh, on the line for us now is likely to be disappointed or not. Thank you very much, Laura Spirit, Red Box reporter for The Times, for talking us through all of that. On the line now, Kevin Hollingrake, Conservative MP for Thurston Moulton, uh, Rishi Sunak's constituency neighbour, uh, is with me on the line. How are you, Kevin? Yeah, very well, thanks. Good morning. You must be delighted with how this has all unfolded. Yeah, I am. Um, he's the right person to lead the country. Um, I'm delighted for Rishi personally because I know he he's, uh, he really believes that he's the right person to lead the country too. But most of all, I'm delighted for the nation. You know, I think we do need stability. We do need to move on from the, the chaos we've seen, crises, not all of which were the government's making, but we, you know, we self-inflicted um, problems too often and we need some calm competence. And I think that's exactly what Rishi will bring to the job. And was it right that the membership who rejected him first time didn't get a vote the second time? Well, some members won't agree with that, but um, these the, the rules were followed all, all the way through. Clearly, if you couldn't get the 100 votes, then you weren't on the ballot paper. And, and if anybody had, then I think it would have gone to the members. So I think the rules were followed. I will say the members' events I attended in the last few days since Liz Trust resigned that almost to a person, they said that they would like this to be settled quickly by Parliament, by the Parliamentary Party, rather than going to members, because it would just cause more delay and um, potentially more division. So I think it was a difficult one, and some members will be dissatisfied with that, but I think the majority of the membership saw the sense behind that. Yes, and we had Times polling by YouGov that said much the same thing, that members were happy for uh, MPs to take the lead on this one. We've heard a lot from your colleagues, Kevin, and I expect you to be positive. You've been with Rishi from the very start. But we've had colleagues from unlikely quarters throwing their weight behind him, acknowledging that the party and the country are in pretty dire straits. Do you expect that unity to last? Well, I think it depends what Rishi does, to be honest. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, are saying, oh, you, you know... We did this to Boris, did this to Liz. I don't really see that. I think Boris and Liz's problems were self-inflicted. And uh, so I think what it's, what's important is Rishi uh, chooses the right policies and implements them well. Even before that, chooses the right team, absolutely vital to that to that cause as well. But because he got support from right across the party, all four corners of the parliamentary party, I think what he's now, he's got the opportunity to form a cabinet that reflects all the different positions within the party and all the different views within the party. And that's likely to be much more unified on that basis. So I think, A, get the right team that reflects the entire uh, thinking right across our party, but also choose the right policies and implement them well. Um, That's what he needs to do. Um, I think he'll do that. Clearly, that's why I've supported him for so long. But um, ultimately, the proof for the pudding is in the tasting. And and, uh, that's the tough job of politics that's yet to come. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it, Kevin? What what, what do we expect to hear from him at 11.35? I've just been passed a text from from Mel Stride, uh, I think a man very likely to be in uh, Rishi Sunak's cabinet, perhaps as chief whip, uh, saying that you're not going to be there on Downing Street. The transition team has asked me to pass on that the Prime Minister would like his address to the nation in Downing Street later to reflect the serious challenges facing our country and the magnitude of our work ahead. For that reason, attendances will be limited to media only and unfortunately not for colleagues or political staff with best mission 
inches uh, Mel Stride. So we're not going to see, as we've just seen from Liz Trust, the number 10 team all applauding. We're not going to see a gaggle of supportive MPs like yourself cheering. Do you think that reflects the approach Rishi's going to take in number 10? Do you think he's a serious man for serious times? And that's what we're going to hear from him in just over 15 minutes' time? Yeah, I think there's a time and place for everything. But I think with households suffering, with businesses worried about the future and worried about making ends meet, I think it's the wrong thing to look... Uh, to uh, look like this is um, too celebratory an occasion. I think it's uh, it's he's a very dignified person, Rishi. He's he's no stranger to uh, to having you know uh, having fun and and uh, he's he's got a, a fun side of him. He's not all serious, but I think these are very serious times. So I think that's a that's a sensible thing to do right now. And uh, what job have you got your eye on, Kevin? Just before I let <laughs> you go. I'm very happy to, as a, a backbencher. I contribute where I can, of course, uh, and it would be, always be a pleasure to serve Rishi. But again, the good thing that Rishi has done, certainly to my knowledge, he's done no backroom deals in terms of jobs for people. If people want to support him, they do so because they believe in him. And that's exactly why I supported Rishi and most other people too, I think. Well, Kevin Hollingrake, MP for Thurscombe Malton, neighbour and supporter of Rishi Sunak, I'll let you go and wait by the phone. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Fascinating insights there from Kevin Hollingrake and also from uh, Mel Stride, Rishi Sunak's likely chief whip or certainly a big cabinet minister to come. Uh, Rishi Sunak isn't going to be in celebratory mood when he addresses the nation at Downing Street later. That text I've just been passed that I've read out to you there. Warning MPs and political staff to stay away. There'll be no phalanx of supporters. It'll be a a short and sober address from Rishi Sunak, no doubt. Well, what do the public make of all of this? Because we've spoken to uh, inhabitants of the Westminster Village at some length this morning. What do the public's make, public make of this? Well, friend of the show, former number 10 pollster James Johnson, has been putting this very question to them in focus groups for a very long time. So we'll learn what the public think about Sunak uh, by listening to clips from those Times Radio focus groups. You can find out more about all of that at mastercard.co.uk forward slash strive. Rishi Sunak is at Buckingham Palace. Currently, he's about to make his first speech as Prime Minister, having accepted that invitation from King Charles III to form a government at 11.35. Stay tuned here to Times Radio for coverage throughout the day, as and when it happens. So what do the public think of their new leader? The latest polls have his net favourability rating at minus 28. That's higher than Liz Truss. That's not difficult. She was on minus 70 upon leaving office. And Keir Starmer, is currently on minus 12. Well, what does this all mean and what's the public think? Joining me now is James Johnson, former Downing Street pollster and host of the Times Radio Focus Group, conducted every month on this show. Morning, James. Morning. I think you are better versed in uh, public opinion on Richardson than almost anyone else. So let's take a listen. Let's take a walk back through memory lane about what your groups have said about Rishi Sunak over time and uh, assess how things have changed. Uh, Let's go right back to the beginning of his tenure in public life when he was riding high as Chancellor. Uh, This group was taken on the 30th of June 2020 and were, you know, for context, uh, we're just about to come out of the first lockdown. Furlough is in place. And this is Rishi Sunak in his pomp. Good guy. I like him. I like him too. I just think his um, heart's in the right place and, you know, it looks after the people. You know, his heart at the end of the day has got a genuine interest in people. I think it might be because he was the one who announced, like, the whole furlough and everything because people weren't expecting it um, and he was the face of it and obviously he's the Chancellor as well. I think that's why we've got such a good view of him, really, because that's what everyone knows him for now. 
Indeed, that was every, what everyone knew him for. The only thing anyone knew him for, because when he was appointed Chancellor uh, to succeed Sajid Javid in 2020, you had to be a pretty hardcore political anorak or follower of Tory politics in Westminster to know uh, the then Chief Secretary to the Treasury. So that was his introduction to the public. Well, you know, was was that very much, James, uh, the the defining view of him, that he was a, as those Voters said a, a good guy who looked after the people with his big financial interventions during the pandemic. Yeah, the moment the public were really introduced to Rishi Sunak was that moment when he stood at the lectern uh, in the uh, state dining room in number 10, one of those COVID press conferences, and announced the furlough package. And it's really interesting because what we saw in that focus group that you played there, as well as focus groups really all through 2020 uh, and 2021, uh, was people not just talking about the furlough package, but actually talking about the speech. And that's very rare for a politician. It's rare even for a prime minister, let alone a chancellor of the Exchequer. And they felt he connected in that speech. They felt um, they summed up, uh, he, they felt he summed up the challenges they faced every day. And they felt that he was on their side. And that's very rare for a politician. It's obviously easy to lose, but it also meant that Rishi Sunak had a very positive start in voters' minds, not just for the support, but actually for what they felt was quite a significant level of empathy too. Yes, and he said in that famous speech, didn't he, that he would do whatever it takes. And, and that's very much the image he, he projected to the public over that period. Let's fast forward a couple of years to April 2020, the end of April 2020. By then, your focus groups were sounding very different indeed. He is so wealthy. He is so far separated from any of us. I think it's very difficult for him to ever be able to know what it's like to be a moment in our in our shoes, a multi multi millionaire living a life of privilege. He's he's missing the mark a bit. His lifestyle and stuff doesn't isn't relatable to other people. Like on paper, yeah, he, professionally he's great and he's got this, that, and the other. But experience wise and like life skills, I don't think he fully appreciates people's situations in real life. Prior to the revelations that have come about, you know, in, over the last um, month or a few weeks or so, I thought he was doing a, you know, a pretty good job. It's just that now it's come to light. You know, I didn't know he had properties all around the world and, and his wife was a multi, multi-millionaire and all that, those sort of things. But that has put a different slant on him for me. Yeah, I agree with that because as soon as I found out that his wife wasn't paying her taxes and that, I thought, well, all the money they've got, why on earth would she not pay her taxes? These are things that normal average people like us have to pay, so I don't feel like they should get away with it. So we've gone from Rishi Sunak, man of the people, looking out for uh, looking out for the public, being a uh, being a good guy, to quote that, the, the very first voter we've heard from, to, you know, a man of obscene wealth who couldn't possibly understand the lot of ordinary people. What explains that breakneck change in the space of two years? The uh, spring um, financial statement that Rishi Sunak did at the start of this year, it feels like several epochs ago now, doesn't it? But mm. um, uh, that, that was seen to uh, not necessarily provide enough help on energy, um, and of course, there were then immediately after that those re- revelations about his tax affairs, and that just created a bit of a uh, change that you could hear amongst those voters there. Now it's interesting because it has worn off a bit, um, and people are perhaps a little bit more mixed now, as you might find out. Um, but uh, that was certainly a bit of a hit to his brand. But as I say, not terminal either, um, and some of that warmth does still does still remain. And of course, yeah, there were the revelations too about his wife's non-dom status. 
uh, which was a big blow for him. And, uh, you know, the, perhaps the first time as well, choreographed public image had been properly undermined by a, a big uh, a big newspaper scandal. Finally, just before we let you go, James, this was what your most recent group had to say about Sunak early this month after he'd lost to Liz Truss in that leadership election that seems a million years ago already. I think I would have preferred him over Liz Truss, to be honest. I had a positive um, opinion of him up until the that came out about his wife and um, what was it, non-dom status. I did actually have a bit of faith in him. But once I saw the, the video of him basically saying that money should not be put into the poor communities, it needs to go to the people that deserve it, which is the, you know, the upper class, I just have no yeah. faith in him anymore at all. I did like him as well at the start. Just you like him helping people. James, is this sort of where we are now? No great enthusiasm, perhaps, you know, lingering appreciation for what he did in the pandemic and also feeling that he might be the best of a bad bunch as far as the public's view on politicians is concerned. Yes, and I think we have to remember that we're very much in best of a bad bunch territory. As you listed there at the start of the segment, no politician in the UK on on those YouGov ratings has a positive approval rating. Um, look, there's clearly concerns about uh, Rishi Sunak's sort of ability to connect with the public in terms of, uh, especially on the, the sort of issue about being rich. But um, look, I think voters are still open-minded on him. And I think that although he might not win the battle of being able to say that he's the most in touch with them, I think he will be able to win the battle of saying, well, look, I am competent and I am actually going to deliver things that will help you. Um, yes, I come from a different background, but I got where I was uh, through my hard work and I want other people to share the same opportunities so there's a way through I don't think which is ever going to be you know in his overalls in a factory uh, convincing voters he's he's one of them mm. but he can convince them he's one of them by showing that he can deliver action that can change their lives and think also showing that he can be honest too and I think that's going to be one of the really important things in this speech is whether he can show that actually he's going to level with the public when it's difficult as well as when, as well as when times are good. Well, indeed, that's one of the things he emphasised yesterday, honesty and integrity. James Johnson, former Downing Street pollster, better known to you, of course, as the chair of our Times Radio focus groups. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks also to Laura Spirit, Times Radio box reporter, and Kevin Hollingray, MP for Thurston Malton, for that in-depth look at who the next Prime Minister really is and what he might do. That's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Remember, I'm in for Matt all this week. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.